This is the Weather Lounge here at Weatherworks. Hello and thank you for joining us once again here in the Weather Lounge. I'm your host, meteorologist Brad Miller, and our fresh podcast comes to you from our Weatherworks home office located in Hackettstown, New Jersey. And joining me as always for a podcast cocktail here in the Weather Lounge is my graceful co-host, meteorologist Mike Mahalik. Hello there, Mike. Hey, Brad. Podcast cocktail. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, you know, it's the weather lounge. You know, I'm gonna <laughs> sit back and have a little podcast cocktail. At yeah, your yeah, I like that. How are things with you, Brad? <laughs> Do you feel okay? Everything good? Yeah, you know, I, I I probably shouldn't have had that second glass of wine last night, but uh, why? Why do you ask? <laughs> I'm just wondering because today we're going to talk about the weather and your health. Um, ah. Yeah, and, and... a little groggy. Oh, okay, though, I'm ready to go. Yeah, although the weather doesn't have an effect on you having an extra glass of wine last night. <laughs> um, but I'm sure our listeners uh, know what we mean when we talk about how the weather can affect us from a day-to-day uh, standpoint and throughout the year. Um, and joining us on the Weather Lounge today is somebody uh, here at Weatherworks. One of our meteorologists actually has done quite a bit of research on how the weather can impact your health. And although she's not a doctor, she did stay at a Holiday Inn Express. Ah. That's, not, ah, that's a terrible joke. But hey, Jen, what's going on? Hi, guys. How are you doing? <laughs> yeah, introduce yourself, Jen. Uh, let us let our listeners know um, you know, who you are. And uh, She's a know. Long Island girl. <laughs> <laughs> I am from Long Island, yes, yes. Um, but hi, everyone. Um, I'm Jen DiOrio, and... As you know, Mike Mike alluded to, I am not a doctor. Um, I am a you know degreed meteorologist from Penn State, but um, one of the things that has always interested me is the way that weather can have an impact on your health. And the reason why this did um, interest me is because, in addition to you know kind of doing the research, what prompted me to do the research to start with is I noticed a lot of correlations with myself of how weather impacts my health specifically. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, but then that allowed me to get, you know, kind of do some research, ask my doctors and, you know, things like that. And just have kind of taken some, um, some notes over the years and just kind of, you know, pulled together what we're going to talk about today. So. Yeah, that's great. I mean, uh, you know, it's, it's so, everyone's different when it comes to, you know, the weather and, and your health and, you know, everyone's affected in different ways. So, you know, again, I want to thank you so very much for joining us today, Jen. And, um, you know, let's start, let's start with the most common health issue when it comes to weather. And, you know, it goes right on into, or it's a good segue, I guess, because as we're going into early spring now, and, and that's allergy season. I think that just seems like it's the biggest topic when it comes to weather and health. And so many people are impacted by it. I would agree. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I think I can count on my number of hands on, you know, one hand, how many people I know that don't have allergies. Um, so, you know, funny, funny story about allergies though, for a while I didn't have them at all. And then they eventually kind of came on as I got older. That, that happens too. Yeah. Allergies are like, honestly, if I wasn't going to be a meteorologist, I think allergies are so interesting. Maybe I'd become an allergist because there's, um, there's so many things they can come on at different points in life. Stress can trigger allergies. I mean, there's just a whole slew of things, but maybe because in the past uh, times that I've worked landscaping for years, um, they've just bombarded me so much that eventually <laughs> yeah, just maybe your body me. became immune to it to a <laughs> yeah. point or something yeah, yeah but it was like almost like the other way around like all of a sudden like my body couldn't handle it anymore i was like that's it i i can't keep holding off <laughs> these, in the uh, towel. these pollens and everything you're throwing at me every spring and fall um so anyway last interruption i promise no no that, Go ahead. that is all good but yeah so the spring 2022 allergy season is unfortunately already upon us, um, especially since it really kind of started ramping up like a week ago today, so last Tuesday. Um, and according to pollen.com and a few of my doctors that I've seen, um, we have seen medium to high levels of allergens for the last few days, especially with some of the recent warmth, sunshine, etc. Um in the spring, the main cause of allergies comes from tree pollen, which typically peaks 
early to mid spring. Um, I know that's the number one spring is my worst season and I'm most allergic to trees. So, um, trees are out to get me, but, um, a secondary cause. You're not uh, a tree hugger then. I'm not a tree hugger. (laughs) I'm definitely not, especially in the spring. Not, no, not that we're, uh, you know, trying to stereotype anything, but it was just kind of, I was thinking that in my head. I was like, if Jen hugged a tree, it would not um, be good. It probably wouldn't be a good thing. No, it would not. <laughs> no, her eyes would be all red and, you know, be yeah, wondering about be something. Else. Why, are your eyes, why are your eyes so red, Jen? I swear <laughs> I was, I was, it's the pollen. It's fucking trees. Um, so yeah, tree pollen is the number one cause of spring allergies. Um, a secondary cause is grass pollen, um, but that begins to bloom mid to late spring. Um, and then it actually peaks in the early summer. So the number one cause of summer allergies comes from grass pollen. Um, Weed pollen can also contribute to spring allergies, though the peak season for that doesn't ramp up into the fall. So spring main causes tree pollen, summer grass pollen. Um, uh, excuse me, fall is weed pollen, and then winter is your indoor allergies. Right. So, see, that's that's the thing is like you know you, when you think of pollen and you think of uh, allergies, you think ah, oh, spring is Ill. but it's not. You just said. All four seasons. So basically it's a year round thing of probably just the worst of it is in the spring. Yeah. And it's all dependent on what you're, what you specifically have an allergy to. I mean, I get allergy shots. I'm actually going later today. Um, so I know that, you know, trees are my worst allergen. Um, weeds are my second. So spring is my worst season. Fall is my second worst. And, um, then I have some indoor allergies as well. That can be mold, dust, um, you know, pet dander. And then, um, I'm not allergic to grass at all. So summer is by far my best season. Um, so it's all kind of, and you can find that out by going to, you know, an allergy specialist by doing specific types of testing. They can tell you exactly what you're allergic to. So that way, you know how you can treat it or, you know, doing some type of allergy shots or something like that. I won't, yeah, I won't get into that specifically because that's, we could spend a whole nother 45 minutes talking about that. But, um, that's why I said allergies are so interesting to me. Um, you, know, you know, when I lived down south, I mean, I was I lived down south for almost 20 years um, in South Carolina. And the one thing that we always had, and it usually started about the middle of February, was the tree pollen. But this was the, I mean, it would, you would see it. It wasn't like, you'd see it blowing around. You know, once in a while, you'll see like a good breeze even up here and you'll see it kind of blow out of a tree. Well, it would dust up. You would have an accumulation of pollen on your car on the sidewalk on your house inside your house if you're you have to close your windows sometimes on a nice early spring day because there's so much pollen and and then when you get a good rainstorm it kind of puddles it up and just collects it's so disgusting almost but that's just kind of the right of spring down south and it's usually gone though by march it's just like a late february early march thing it's weird right so so brad instead of certified snowfall totals that we do we can do certified pollen totals yep I mean, it, it would you know, be it would be like coating. a full coating. Yeah, it would be. A, it wouldn't be a widely scattered or scattered coat. It would be a coating of pollen. A coating of pollen. That just sounds fantastic. Less than a tenth, though. Less than a tenth. Yeah, and uh, you know, allergies are so tough. You know, especially in in this time. You know, when we're dealing with the the pandemic and 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 you know things are slowing down there. Um, but you know, anytime you get sick and then you're you're trying to figure out, well, now that we're into allergy season, is it allergies that it's making me sneeze and 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 get stuffy and all that kind of stuff or is it something else and you know i think everything's been a little bit complicated by the the pandemic situation a little bit yeah no i i completely agree i mean i just had that the other day i was like oh no um you know my my throat's a little scratchy and then it's like oh right allergy season we're back we're back um, so Jen, how does, how does like the, let, let's take, for example, like certain scenarios with, with the weather, a wetter spring, a drier spring going into like a wetter summer. How does that, uh, you know, how does that play out in the end with the, uh, with the allergies and the, and the pollen and things like that? Yeah. Yeah. So what's been, you know, what researchers have found is that temperature and moisture have the strongest influence on the severity of allergy season and the symptoms because it directly impacts pollen and mold growth. So just a few scenarios, a warmer than usual winter or an early snow melt can allow mold to flourish and trees to pollinate sooner, which can allow for allergy symptoms in individuals to begin sooner, become more intense and last longer. 
a wetter spring promotes rapid plant growth and mold intensification. So, you know, that April showers bring May flowers type of scenario, um, you know, is when mold can kind of really thrive and feed off those wet and damp conditions. Um, and that can, you know, cause symptoms to develop quickly and severely. Though rain in some situations, um, like for example, let's say we've had a warm, dry, you know, kind of windy stretch in spring, when the rain comes in, it can come in, wash away all that airborne pollen and can kind of briefly ease those itchy eyes and watery nose, <clears throat> excuse me, before, um, before, you know, then allowing for mold to flourish a little bit there. Um, a spring with hot stretches can also allow for more intense periods of pollen and dry and windy weather is honestly kind of the worst thing for pollen. So I know today, you know, in Hackettstown, we're going to be dry. We're going to be a little bit warm. We're going to have a little bit of a breeze that can allow some of this pollen to spread a little bit farther and a little bit more quickly. Um, so, you know, that, that can worsen symptoms throughout the allergy season. Yeah, I know the one uh, time, I believe it was last year, uh, the pollen was so bad, I was out uh, mowing my grass, and it was a windy, dry type of day, and you know, I even tried, uh, hey, maybe I could use that uh, KN95 mask right yeah, now. Yeah, so you got your COVID mask still. <laughs> yeah, so I got plenty. I never used to have those lying around at all, but now I seem to have a abundance. I could probably fill a closet full of them now, um, but, um, but yeah, I actually put one on and helped out. I was just going to say those do help. My allergist told me specifically that if, cause I love going for outdoor walks as a good way to like kind of just de-stress and, you know, get outside. And he was like, you should really wear a mask, which now I feel, you know, it's more socially acceptable prior, <laughs> prior to COVID. I'd be walking around in a mask. I'd be like, okay, people are looking at me weirdly. And now it's not, you know, yeah. even, you don't think Why twice. Why does a girl have a mask on? It's like 70 degrees out. Yeah, are you are you staining some furniture? Or yeah, exactly. Like, but it putting does, up some drywall. Yeah, it does. It does help because it prevents those allergens from getting in. Um, but yeah, even on those windy days, like I'll feel, I'll be walking outside and I'll be like, oh my gosh, my eyes are itching already because stuff is just blowing. Um, so yeah. So obviously, weather affects you know uh, all the allergens and things of that nature. But I got to tell you. A lot of times, you know, I'm talking with my dad and he's getting on the older side and he's just like, oh, man, my hip and my knee are starting to hurt. And, uh, oh, man, there must be a storm coming or something like that. Now, Jen, with your research into this stuff, have you found any correlation with actual, is there any truth to this, oh, I feel it in my bones situation for storms? So there really is. Um and this is, yeah, there, there really is. And this is something that I kind of picked up, um, you know, growing up also, you know, with my family, we have some chronic neck and back issues and I would, I also have them as well. So I'd be like, man, like my back's really, you know, kind of bothering me today. Um, and, you know, so kind of similar across, you know, my family. And then we all see a family chiropractor. And when I really started getting into weather, he, he showed me, he was like, look at this instrument that I have. And I was like, wow. And I come over and he has a huge barometer on his wall in his office. And he pretty much is like, yeah, like this is what I use. So when people tell me, yeah, I'm really not feeling good today. He's noticed over the years that it is impacted by the barometric pressure dropping. And like I said, he has that huge barometer on his wall and he uses that, you know, kind of pretty religiously, which is cool to see the medical side of things interacting with the weather side of things and how, you know, people in medicine really are using kind of the weather so strongly, so strongly. Um, but yeah, so when someone feel, says they can feel a storm coming and, you know, their back or their bad knee or a previous injury or something, um, they're probably not lying. And it's largely caused by a fall. And like I said, that barometric pressure. So, you know, barometric pressure is... Um, Dr. Diorio, are you on in an ER? Dr. Diorio, <laughs> ER, please. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, no, that barometric pressure is the force or the weight of the air in the atmosphere upon a point on earth, which is the force or weight of air on us as well. Um, and a fall in bar barometric pressure typically happens soon before a storm arrives. So that's why people will say, you know, Oh God, there must be a storm coming because my back is killing me or whatnot. Um, 
And it's a typical cause for the shock absorbing parts of your joints to swell, overly extend or turn stiff and become achy or painful. Now, now would this be like, is this, are we talking like a, like a thunderstorm versus like a bigger widespread storm, like an area of low pressure? I mean, is there a difference you think? I mean, do, do people say, oh, there's a storm coming when they say a storm coming, do they mean like a, a quick storm or can they feel like a bigger long lived, like, you know, more of a, a one day rain event or something like that? Yeah, I think it's dependent on the person. Um, I know for me personally, it's more of these big low pressure systems are right. long duration. Gonna, storm, yeah, yeah. The long duration with, you know, those kind of long drawn out falls in barometric pressure and then rises and whatnot. But, um, you know, summer thunderstorms or whatever, thunderstorms just coming in general, you know, can cause a quick fall in pressure. And also when that pressure is accompanied by a fall in temperature, rainy conditions, which, you know, can happen with summer thunderstorms, that can amplify the negative effects on the joints as well. So you were talking about a fall in, in, in barometric pressure that was causing uh, some of this issue. Now, is this because there's just less pressure on your joints? So then like the stuff in between, since I'm not a doctor, I don't know if it's the cartilage or, or, or whatever it may be. Um, does that allow that to expand or something? And that's why it causes pain? I think what it does is it extends. I know you're not a doctor, Jen, but yeah, I'm just... Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. I think what it does is it just extends it. I mean, the way my chiropractor and a few people I have talked to about it is like, if you imagine like just a box of air over your head, when the barometric pressure is falling, think of that falling down closer to you. So if you put like something kind of heavy over your head and then just keep pressing and pressing down, it's going to cause things to compress and cause more pressure from kind of the top down. That's almost kind of the way I look at it. And then once, you know, that storm passes, it eventually releases, you kind of go back into a state of normalcy. Um, What we'll talk about, you know, I don't know if we want to lead into this right now, but for people that suffer from headaches and migraines, that transition back to a state of normalcy can also trigger, um, you know, a migraine. Yeah, that's a good good uh, lead in there because that's going to be our next topic. And I know, I, I mean, I think everyone, thankfully I don't suffer from migraines, but uh, I know a lot of people that do. And I know Jen, you're, you're a, you suffer from them too. Um, I guess it's different from everybody though, but I, I mean, I've known people that just basically can almost black out from the pain. It's so bad. And you know, others are just like, ah, oh, it's an eye migraine. It's really not that bad. Right. Right. I mean, there's, a magnitude of different types of migraines. And honestly, if you read some of the research on migraines, there's really so much not known about them still, which is kind of a little scary. Um, But yes, I am a migraine sufferer. Um, My mom is a migraine sufferer. It runs in the family. I'm going to say it's a lot of hereditary Um, uh, hereditary involved. Yeah, it it runs on um, my mom's side for sure. Um, so, you know, there, there is a magnitude of different causes of migraines and a magnitude of different pains that people can feel. Like you said, Brad, some people just like, ah, like my vision's a little messed up. I don't even have any pain. That's a type of migraine. Then you have migraines with pain. You have migraines that are just in the neck. I mean, there's a, there's a multitude of combinations, but with weather specifically, it's linked to a various of like a various type of, um, weather phenomena. And, Experts believe that people who get frequent headaches have a greater sensitivity to changes in the environment and kind of, you know, I mean, you, you can read research of, you know, back in the day, obviously you didn't have weatherworks telling you that there was going to be a, you know, big storm system coming or something like that. You didn't have the technology to know when the weather was changing. You had to do it based off of your body and how you were feeling. So people believe that, you know, experts and researchers believe that back in the day, when an individual would get a migraine, it was supposed to be like a trigger to tell your body, you know, get inside, seek sh- safer shelter, something like that. Um, so, so Brad, is this what you did years ago? <laughs> Back in the day when you oh. had to forecast the weather, you just yeah, kinda... yeah, you know, just run outside and see. Well, yeah, that's what I'm saying. If you have, if if your joints I'm just start busting hurting you, on you, man. No, no. If you have, if I'm just saying, if your joints start hurting you and you, you know, you start getting a migraine, uh, you know, then you know it's going to be a bad storm, you know, because it's all. It sounds like it's a barometric pressure. Yeah, it's like. Yeah, exactly. Um, and yet yeah, the 
the bar- like I said, it's linked to a various number of weather phenomena, but barometric pressure changes is the top weather-related cause of headaches and migraines. And actually, two-thirds of migraine sufferers have found that a change in barometric pressure triggers their migraines. And it for sure does for me. I mean, it's honestly one of my worst triggers for migraines and some of the worst migraines I've had have been caused by barometric pressure changes. When you start feeling a migraine coming on in your case, Jen, you know, it's going to be either a, a, a not a bad one or a mild one, or is it going to be like a, a bad one? Um, where you don't know until I don't know. Um, so the ones I will say this, the ones where I know it's going to be bad is when I, like you were saying earlier, Brad, some people just have the weird vision impacts. I normally don't get those. So if I do get that prior to getting a migraine, I know it's going to be one that knocks me out (laughs) Um, because I can probably count on two hands the amount of times I've had like a vision change or an aura prior to a migraine. And when I do have that, it's a pretty bad one. I I get that too, though, but they say that's kind of a migraine. I mean, I don't, I maybe once every couple of months I'll get one on yeah, like if, like no, if it is. Right eye, yeah, if, like, if I, my right eye gets a little, then my left side of my head hurts a little bit afterwards. It's yeah, weird. and some people, like I've also had most 90, 85% of my migraines are painful, um, but people sometimes just get completely migraines without pain, and I have gotten a few of those where it's just you have auras, vision changes, dizziness, but absolutely no pain or very, very mild pain. I don't know which one's better. They both kind of suck. Um, but, um, <laughs> I, I would, yeah. there, there's a magnitude of different kinds, but yeah, that's the only time where I can tell, yeah, this is going to be a really bad one. Otherwise it's just kind of, you know, wait and see and do what I can that I know I've been dealing with this since I was little. I know how to, you know, kind of treat it and help to mitigate it. But, um, but anyway, yeah. So, Two th- like I said, two-thirds of migraine sufferers are impacted by that change in barometric pressure. And as we were talking about with the aches and pains, that fall in barometric pressure is what causes, you know, someone's back to hurt, knee to hurt, a previous injury to, you know, be achy um, prior to a storm arriving. But then as that pressure is released, people normally feel, um, you know, it, it could take a little bit, a little more time to regulate out, but things start gradually start to improve. As that barometric pressure changes back for individuals, kind of back to a normal state for those that suffer from migraines, that can actually be a trigger as well. So I many a times have, I get a migraine prior to a big storm system coming, it levels out, it gets a little bit better. And then I get another migraine as that storm system is exiting and we get back to, you know, high pressure, sunny skies as that high pressure builds where back that in. Secondary low develops along the coast. And then you have a headache with weather too. And trying oh, to yeah. figure out where the rain <laughs> snow line is. Yes. And then that's always a great time too. Um, so yeah, many, many don't realize it, don't realize that as that storm system exits, um, and, you know, conditions are turning dry or sunny or you're like, wow, it's a beautiful day out, but I feel, you know, really bad still. Well, that pressure is still changing as that high pressure is moving in and people don't realize that is a migraine trigger as well. Um, so pretty much how the barometric pressure influences migraines is that, um, you know, pressure changes can have an effect on the pressure sensitive receptors of the brain or could even cause an imbalance in brain chemicals, which can trigger a migraine. Um, pressure changes can also cause a difference in the pressure of the air outside Um of your, you know, head sinuses, just think, you know, the ambient air plus the air inside of your sinuses. So that pressure difference can lead to, you know, sinus pressure and a sinus related headache, similar to as if you were going, um, I know some people when they fly, they feel, you know, kind of some intense pressure in their ears, their, you know, kind of face around their sinuses. It's a very similar thing, but now it's happening with the barometric pressure changing as a, as a storm system is coming or um, leaving. So we talked a lot about migraines and, and really appreciate all the information, but there's so many other impacts that the weather can have on so many other things related to your health. So I'd like to move on to the immune system a little bit too, because, you know, you've always heard like, hey, don't go out there in the cold without a, a, a jacket on or, or a sweater or something like that. You know, you'll, you'll catch a cold. Is there any truth to that? Because um, it seems like an old wives sort of tale. But Yeah, uh, yeah. It's similar to that, like, oh, is there any truth to, you know, people feeling a storm coming in their bones? Yeah, um, sure. And 
you know, there is truth to that too, that cold weather does have a negative impact on the immune system and it can make it easier to catch infections or illnesses. So the reason um, for that really is not, yes, it's, it's, um, you know, has something to do with the cold weather, but it's more of kind of like the secondary effects of cold weather. And that is when it's cold out, who wants to be outside? So you want to spend a lot of time inside in the warmth when it's cold. Um, Because people are spending more time inside, they're in closer contact with other people, maybe take the last, you know, two years aside with COVID, but um, you're more in contact with other people inside and it's easier to spread flus, coughs, colds, etc. Increased time spent indoors as well also reduces an individual's vitamin D levels due to less sun exposure. Um, And vitamin D actually, you know, people think, oh, when you're sick, take vitamin C, make sure you take vitamin C so you don't get sick. Vitamin D is actually more important than vitamin C um, for immune response and keeping a healthy and strengthened immune system. And when that is reduced by being inside, not being exposed to the sun, um, you know, that can be lessened and then people can catch, um, you know, colds and coughs and flus more easily. So it's more of a secondary effect because it's cold, you're around more people and just clustered more tightly. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And, you know, I always said that when I, when I was landscaping and, and this is going to date me a little bit, but there was a time when the, the swine flu or the H1N1, the bird flu, yeah, all yeah, that was stuff. going around and, you know, back in the day, no. yeah, back in the day. And, um, I was landscaping at time outside cutting grass. And I'm like, well, I'm probably in the best place I could be because I'm out in the middle of nowhere cutting grass, you know, outside, you know, I'm not, you know, as long as the three people in the truck with me, you know, (laughs) weren't sick, you know, this is a good place to be rather than some sort of uh, office building setting that's very tight and clustered. Right, right. Yeah, no. And I mean, honestly, like on the nicer days that we have, you know, in the winter months where it's sunny, a little bit mild, you know, make sure you take the advantage to get outside, get some of that vitamin D. Um, And I mean, even going out on colder days isn't bad. Um, Obviously, you know, the sun is helpful kind of no matter what. But if you are going out on those colder days, it is important to, like you said, we were talking about earlier, Mike, you know, making sure you bundle up because you don't really want that cold air to kind of get into your body um, and kind of, you know, yes, while it is a secondary effect of being inside more, the cold air has been proven to biologically affect the way that the body can respond to infections and illness. Um, And with cells, and pretty much what researchers have shown is that like cells within the body exposed to lower temperatures have a decreased immune response to, um, to foreign pathogens or illnesses or something like that. So while yes, the cold is, you know, kind of a secondary effect of staying inside, there also is some proof to the fact of that, you know, by getting a chill in your body, like people say, you can get sick. Yeah. You know what? And and even like in the middle of winter, you were saying in, maybe you had a rough couple of days at work or, you know, you've had a lot of snow and like cloudy, nasty days. You know, if you get that real nice sunny day, even like the middle of January, even though it's going to be 25 degrees, go outside, get some sunshine. It just brightens up my mood. I think it's like, oh, the sun's out and, you know, it feels good, even though it's cold, you know, and, and I think that just sometimes helps me. And I'm sure it helps a lot of people just to get the sun going. And even when you start to notice the sun coming up earlier, as you get further in the winter, you're maybe like, thinking, all right, spring's not that far away. But I know there's that seasonal affective disorder too, Jen, um, that affects a lot of people too. And, and I don't I don't know if I have it maybe because I think everyone gets really down and like, oh, you know, the, the doldrums of winter. And then especially when you're in our business, you know, it's like every day you're dealing with, uh, you know, weather impacts from snow and ice and trying to forecast them. And it's just kind of wears you down after a while. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's clinically been proven that weather has an impact on mood. Um, I know for me, I mean, I love a good rainy day. Don't get me wrong. Oh, no, no, yeah. Yeah, but, you know, a week of rain is, oof, that's rough. But especially for me, I'm not overly fond of the cold. Um, So, you know, cold weather for an extended period of time, I'm, I'm like, let's get this out. Let's get some, you know, nice mild warmth in here so I can get outside. But the sun is a big thing. And 
fewer hours of sunlight in the fall and the winter has been proven to kind of disrupt um, someone's internal clock. And what that can do is allow for a blue mood, as you would call it. Um, and clinically by, <laughs> clinically by medical professionals, this is called seasonal affective disorder or SAD, which is a pretty good, um, you know, three letter, um, abbreviation. What's that called? Acronym? Isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Acronym. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's sad that I have sad. Yeah, exactly. Um, and you know, research does continue to show that time spent outside on pleasant weather days can combat um, stress, anxiety, and depression for those that suffer, especially those that suffer from SAD. Yeah, um, definitely. Interesting. I, I wonder how people up in, um, you know, Alaska and around the Arctic Circle deal with the fact that they have sunlight pretty much not at all. Um, I, I wouldn't the... fare well. <laughs> all right, well, all right. Well, you know what? While we're on this topic too, let, let's let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is uh, big news the last, I guess, couple of weeks. Social media, it's all over Twitter. You know, it's 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 in Congress right now, and that is, of course, the Sunshine Protection Act. Let's let's talk a little bit about that because it kind of does, like Jen was just saying, affect your health and 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 less you know less daylight. It, it definitely impacts you and maybe you know leads to the 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 um, seasonal affective disorder to a point. But, the funny, I mean, the funny thing with this, Brad, it's like they call it the the seasonal or sunshine protection act. It's like it's yeah. still going to be the same amount of sunshine. Right. Okay, we're it's not like we can add sunshine. I mean, we can't do anything about that unless you're going to change the orbit and and the yeah. rotation of the Earth. You know, um, you know that's not going to change. So it's kind There's of a Austin funny powers title. when you need them. <laughs> yeah. change it. Yeah, we we can slow down the Earth's rotation, right? No problem. Anyway, but uh, yeah, I mean, this is a this is a pretty big deal, um, you know. And while it might seem good that hey, the sun doesn't set uh, so early in the dead of winter, um, there's, know, there's payback for it. Yeah, I mean, you got to think of those sunrises too. I mean, there's some examples here up in North Dakota where. You know, your sunrise might not be until, you know, 942 in the morning. Yeah, there's there's the one in North Dakota. I mean, currently in the middle of, middle of winter, 842, which is bad enough. Rough, granted, I was just going to say. Yeah, granted, granted, they're way up there. Their latitude's, you know, pretty pretty high up there. But still, you know, now you're talking about a sunrise at 942, and all you're getting out of it is a sunset, you know, 503 versus 603. I mean, is it really worth it? Yeah. 942 sunrise is just ridiculous to me. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how uh, our listeners feel about this uh, out there. If you want, you could send us an email and let us know how you feel about you, this. You know, I, I'm wondering if this is but, one of those things where, like, it seems like this has been the going thing the last couple of years. I'll get rid of, you know, daylight saving time. You know, it's it's a mess. So why would change? And now, watch, it's going to pass Congress. Biden's going to sign it. It's going to turn into, you know, it, I guess what I've read also, if, if it is passed and everything, uh, we won't start this though until the fall of 2023. So we'll still change the clocks this fall, next spring, and then the following fall is when it'll go into effect. But you know, and then what'll happen five years from now? Oh, this is ridiculous. Let's go back to daylight saving time. I'll be completely honest. I was all about getting rid of daylight savings times until yeah, because I was like, oh, changing the clocks—it's so stupid. It messes up my internal clock of sleep. Yeah. Yada de yada yeah. de yada. And then you know, looking at some of the stuff, I mean, a 4:55 a.m. sunrise in Philly on the uh, summer solstice. You no, know, thank you. Because um, you know, summers a lot of the times where people wants to, want to sleep in, um, and. Yeah, I'm, I'm not fond of that, and I'm definitely not fond of the, you know, close to 9 a.m. sunrise times. Yeah, now, now here, here's another example going the other way. Um, you know, if we if we keep, like in Boston, uh, if, if we keep it standard all year, you know, sunrise is 4.06 in the morning in the summer. Now, the sunset, though, is 7.22. Now, that's if we keep it standard. That's, that's not daylight saving time, which we would be stuck in anyway. It would be daylight saving time. But still, the sunrise in at 5.06 in the morning, I never even realized it was that early. This is if we uh, don't change the clocks and we stay right, we in, the, in the winter time, basically, right. um, that we usually have. 
So that's that's interesting too. If we stayed standard time, then the other way around doesn't look good either. No, I don't. You know, so so maybe this changing uh, twice a year isn't all that terrible, honestly. And didn't we do a didn't we do a Twitter poll, Brad, uh, on the Weatherworks Twitter account? And, uh, and we did actually. I haven't looked. I, I can look right now and see yeah, where we're at I, with that. I think it was something like fifty-seven percent said no. I want to keep changing the clocks. I, I believe. I don't think yeah, everybody was super right in favor. Now. The funny thing is, is like you know, when when we finally get everybody in our government to agree on something, then <laughs> then the people are going, wait a minute. <laughs> Hold on, we don't want this anymore. <laughs> Hold on, this doesn't sound like a good idea when we really get into the uh, brass tacks. Yeah, 60, uh, 40% wanted to keep daylight saving time permanent, wanted to make it permanent. Um, actually, 60% said, no, leave it alone, I leave guess. Leave it alone. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Maybe we should send that off to uh, Congress. <laughs> How do we get it there? This is a Weatherworks poll. Please yeah. take it into account. I just, you know, as a, as a general average, though, let's take Philadelphia here. You know, this in the middle of winter. So on the first day of winter, the sun wouldn't come up until 8.57 a.m. That seems late. Yeah, that's pretty late. I don't I mean, know. Then, then, the, then the sun stays out until 6.02. But I, you know what? I don't mind 4.45, 5 o'clock sunset in December, early January. It kind of goes with the territory. You know, you're kind of looking forward to fall and winter then. Who cares? What do you, what do you do? You know, then the thought is uh, kids going to school and stuff like that. They're all going to get on the bus in the dark. Yeah. Uh, I mean, high school you know, kids probably already get on the bus. Yeah. In the dark I got, now. The, I got on the bus in the dark. Yeah. Unless this would they, be even worse. Unless they push back the time and say, you know, Hey, we're not going to start school until uh eight 30 or nine o'clock. Yeah. Well then yeah, you're messing with everything. That's <laughs> I just think at nine, I just think an eight fifty seven a.m. sunrise in Philadelphia on on December twenty first is is a little much. That's, that's a rough one. Yeah, in my opinion. All right. Well, let's let's move on from the uh, the old uh, daylight savings and sad problems, uh, which I think is probably one of the most accurate acronyms I've ever heard. Yeah, I, I know. It really um, is. But uh, how about uh, skin? Um, I know the weather can really impact the skin. I mean, I know in the wintertime, it gets very dry. Um, a lot of times I get a, a rash on my hands and, and, and drier hands than usual. Um, so let's go over that a little bit, huh? Yeah, so winter weather especially can exasperate um you know, common skin conditions such as rosacea, eczema, and psoriasis. Um, And the main reason for that is you're exposed to dry outdoor air, and then you come into indoor heat, both of which dry out the skin and can cause the skin to lose moisture and become, you know, red, dry, and itchy, the things that we, you know, really don't want. Um, But, you know, one of the things that can help that is making sure you're wearing those gloves outside in the winter is a huge help and just continually to um you know use when you're washing your hands using warm water making sure you're drying thoroughly and then applying you know lotion and moisturizer pretty consistently is what you can do i was just gonna say i'm dainty when it comes to my hands i i hate dry hands i hate the way it feels it hurts so I'm always I'm always putting on the hand lotion, and and usually by November, that's when I usually can tell that it's uh, all right. Well, it looks like winter season's moving in here. Yeah, and the and the lips too. And you get those cracks on your hands. Ugh, I hate that. No, it's not good. It's not fun. I, I was firmly in the camp for a long time of oh come on now that's just you know you you can't be using moisturizer tough for it out here. yeah you know come on get over this you know but then as I'm uh, you know getting older here I'm thinking yeah look at that oh my hand is, I know oh, it feels good. No good you know even though I still I have like calluses on my hands from you know uh, lifting weights or something like that but <laughs> but uh, you know because I always like looked at that as oh look at that it's a a sign of tough toughness look at my hand you know you know but uh but now it's like you know what that moisturizer is not too bad a thing to put on at night before you go to bed i tell you that yeah and that's honestly the best time to do it because think about it like you're gonna put it on and then go to sleep and you know sleep for how many hours without disruption to you know washing the hand washing your hands washing it off whatnot um you know people that have it you know, sometimes in the dead of winter when my hands are really dry, um, what I do is I actually put gloves on at night. I put lotion on, then I put gloves on, and it just keeps the moisture locked in um, for, you know, for some of those people who have the, you know, more severe conditions. But it's really not something to, 
you know, kind of mess around about because, and it's true. Moisturizer does keep your skin looking young. So, um, so yeah, but it's not just the winter too. I mean, in the summer, um, as we know, you sit out in the sun all day without sunscreen on, if you're not, you know, um, super Italian, which despite my last name of Diorio, I do not tan very well, um, because I do have some of the Irish skin in there as well. Um, but you know, if you sit out in the sun all day long and you know, you just kind of sit there without sunscreen, you know, you can get a burn. So, um, hot temperatures and intense sunlight can also aggravate the skin because it dilates the blood vessels, increases blood flow to the skin. So in addition to, um, you know, causing sunburn, it can allow for, you know, areas or certain parts of the skin to just become irritated, itchy, um, inflamed and annoyed. Yeah. And, and sunburn is, uh, is an interesting one and it's and, sneaky. And, yeah. And I know, <laughs> you know, from my wife who has fair skin, um, you know, even if it's cloudy outside, if she's outside all day, you know, she can still get burned like, you know, and not, I'm not talking like a dense overcast, but you know, if there's, you know, a mostly cloudy day where you're getting sun popping through every now and then, or even like filtered sun through some high clouds, um, you know, she can still get burned. I mean, she got burned the other day when we were outside when it was a nice, uh, over the last uh, weekend, it was near 70 degrees. And uh, even myself, I, and I'm not usually one that burns that easily. I, I got burned because I was out uh, washing cars and stuff like that all day. Um, so, And especially, you know, the first, uh, I think there is some truth. I haven't done much research on this, but I think there is some truth to that. You know, if you get burned, you're more likely to burn kind of that first long-term um you know, kind of sun exposure early in the season. Cause I just think like, you know, you're in during the winter, you know, you're inside all the time. You're really not exposing your skin to a lot of sun. And then if you just kind of just go, you know, for a long, like I'm going to sit on the beach now for eight hours, first day of the whole season, (laughs) uh, your skin probably is going to take a little bit of a time to adjust. But, um, no, I always notice I burn the worst in like the first time I go out like to play golf or something in like maybe April or something, then I'm okay. The rest of the summer, it's like, it's weird. Yeah, no, I, I think there, I, like I said, I haven't done a lot of research on that, but I think there is some truth to it and everyone is different. And a lot of it I think is based off of your, you know, genetics, um, ethnicity, things like that. I mean, it's a funny sight when the Dioreos go to the beach because you have my dad, who's 100% Italian, who never gets burnt. I'm somewhere in the middle. And then my mom is mostly Irish and she's in, you know, SPF protective from head to toe. <laughs> SPF um, on Yeah, yeah the literally. So, um, so yeah, it, it is, it is rather funny. So I guess the last thing um, that we wanted to talk about was effects on the heart that uh, the weather can have. And, you know, maybe this pops up a little bit more in the summer uh, from from what I can think about, Jen. Yeah, I would say, I mean, pretty much it's just extreme temperatures is what can put a strain on people. Um, and it can be on anyone, whether you have a healthy heart or someone that is suffering from a few heart conditions or heart disease or whatnot. Um, just, you know, any kind of extreme can really, you know, hold, hold an impact, um, and can put you at risk for a heart attack or stroke. So for example, um, you know, in the winter, cold temperatures can cause those blood vessels to constrict and make your heart work harder to circulate the blood. Um, in the summer, kind of the opposite goes where, you know, extremely hot temperatures, um, can cause a strain as well. The thing that kind of goes in tangent with the kind of extreme temperatures and the extreme weather is kind of like a similar, as we were talking about earlier, I forget about what now, but, um, a secondary effect is when there's, you know, extreme temperatures, extreme weather, whatnot, typically there's kind of some type of extraneous activity involved, Um, the biggest thing that comes to mind for me in the winter is, you know, you have a big snowstorm, then you got to clean it up. So people that are, you know, shoveling, um, you know, taking care of their, you know, their homes, whatever the situation is, um, you know, that can put a strain on the heart, especially if you do not exercise regularly or if your heart is unhealthy. I mean, unfortunately I hear stories every year on after big snowstorms, someone locally passes away from a heart attack or stroke from shoveling snow. Um, So I think that's important there that people understand that that activity is pretty strenuous. So don't just, 
hop out of your house and put on some warm clothes and just go right away, you know, shoveling, shoveling, shoveling. A lot of people say, you know, maybe loosen up a little bit first. Like, you know, Especially maybe when you stretch. get some of those, like this past winter, we had some of those real dense, oh my God, That I think it was that one storm. It was like two, two and a half inches of just slop and it was, it felt like it was like a foot. Yeah. And when it's the heavy dense snow or several inches is what can really, you know, put the strain on the heart. Forget about, I mean, sometimes I go out and shovel snow very infrequently, if I may add, and my dad will concur with that if you ask. Um, but, you know, sometimes I go out and I'm like, oh my gosh, because again, I have the chronic back issues or whatnot. I'm like, man, like you wouldn't think like shoveling snow, like it's going to be as taxing on your body as it is, but it's a workout. And like I said, if you have that unhealthy heart, there's things that you have to be um, you know, I mean, avoiding it if you can, but also, you know, taking frequent breaks, kind of tre- checking in with yourself. Um, in the summer, when it's really hot, really humid, just avoiding things that don't need to get done on that certain day, like yard work, um, sports, you know, kind of similar activities in extreme heat because the overexertion, whether in, you know, shoveling snow or performing yard work in the summer um, raises the risk of a heart attack or a stroke. Funny story, I should say. I I know we're talking about heart attacks and strokes, so it shouldn't be funny. Um, But um, my dad played a joke on my my uncle one time because uh, he saw that there was a heat wave coming. And um, so he said uh, he called up his brother, who's a few years older than him, and and he just said, you know, I just wanted to call to see how you're doing. And I was just concerned a little bit. He goes, what do you mean? Concerned about what? He's like, well, they said check up on the elderly. So I thought I'd give you a call. And, oh, man, my uncle got pretty upset about that one. Uh, he said, you know what? You're not too far off there, uh, too, pal, to my dad. So, <laughs> um, but anyway, I just thought it was a, a fun story, you know, even though, you know, we're talking about some serious. So, yeah, I mean, like <laughs> we we could talk. I could talk about, you know, this is kind of just scratching the surface of the impacts that weather can have on health. Did you want? Oh, I think we skipped one. I think we want to talk a little bit about asthma too. I mean, it, it only because that that kind of coincides with you know dense cold air versus you know humidity in the summertime. I, I did want to just touch on that real quick because I know in the past if it's been in the winter and very cold and I went out for a jog, it's hard to breathe. Like when I got back in, I was like you know coughing and and couldn't catch breath and stuff like that. And do you have asthma, Mike? Or I, just- I, I don't think so. <laughs> okay. But maybe I do a little bit. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> maybe. The, and Mike's now going to head to the doctor later tonight. Now, um, you check on this a minute? Yeah. But no, I mean, I, I've, I think I've just the average person who doesn't have asthma will find that that's an impact. But people who especially have, have asthma, pretty much since asthma is related to an inflammation of the airways, any change or any kind of weather related occurrence that changes the air that you breathe can cause a flare up. Um, So for example, as Mike was alluding to, you go out in the winter, especially if you're going to do exercise that, you know, cold, dry air, when that gets into your lungs, I know when it gets into my lungs as being an asthmatic person, it's like, it's like knives of, you know, trying to, trying to breathe over, um, you know, what that cold air is doing. So, um, pretty much what it does is that cold and dry air dehydrates, um, parts of the airways that are called the bronchial tubes. And what it does is it causes them to narrow and they're therefore restricts the airflow, which can make it feel like it's harder to breathe. Um, kind of going back to the the mask wearing outdoors um but that is something that does help in in the uh winter because if you think about it when you're wearing your mask i always kind of feel like a little sense of warmth because you're kind of re-breathing in a little bit of your own air which is kind of nasty if you think about it but um it's still you know preventing some of that you know intense cold air from getting getting in. in yeah Or what I do too is, you know, kind of wrapping a scarf around my mouth or something like that kind of helps. Um, But the other thing too is the high heat and humidity um, can make the air heavier and harder to breathe. Um, So the summer isn't really that good either. I mean, the humidity really just makes it so much more dense and harder to, you know, kind of breathe. So that's something that asthmatics need to be um, aware of as well. Um, And 
on another note, windy conditions and rain can also trigger an asthma attack in some if you're especially, um, you know, triggered by, um, again, the wind or extra moisture that the rain causes. And then allergies and asthma go hand in hand. And we already talked about, you know, quite in depth of the impact that weather has on allergies. So if the weather is impacting allergies and making those uh, more severe or whatnot, that can also lead for, you know, asthma and a flare up and irritations as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that about covers it, though, uh, Jen. I mean, yeah, well, like Jen said, we're just scratching the surface. I mean, we can probably get a little more in depth than another one. Yeah, we could probably have a part two of this uh, uh, for sure. I mean, and the research you can find on this is just... I was like a little overwhelmed. I was like, woof, there's a lot of things I could talk about. But Hey, Jen, did you say you're going to see your allergist? I'm getting allergy shots later today. Maybe you should talk and see if he wants to be a guest on the podcast. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I could ask a multitude. I could ask my chiropractor if he wants to come Ooh, on. That <laughs> might be good, too. You know, it might be good to get, um, you know, some of the actual doctors that deal with these weather-related uh, illnesses and health effects to, to come on and, and get that, you know, expert opinion on everything. Um, but, um, yeah, this was a really great podcast. And, Jen. Yeah, good work, Jen. Yeah, Excellent. thanks. Thanks thank for you, being with you. us today and uh, informing thanks us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, I mean, it was a great overview of all the impacts that uh, – the weather can have on your health. So I think we'll have you on again, Jen, uh, if you have a good topic for us to talk about, because I think this was fun. I love it. Yeah, no, I had a great time. Thanks for having me on. And like I said, not a medical professional, but just going off of what I've been, what I feel and what I've researched and, you know, feel free, you know, all the listeners out there. I mean, when I ask my doctors these questions, they're excited to, you know, have that I have an interest in learning about certain aspects of health because that's what they do. So you know, ask your doctors if you have questions. So, Well, um, that about wraps it up for this episode of the Weather Lounge. Uh, special thanks to uh, uh, meteorologist Jen DiOrio for coming on the program today as our guest. Um, remember, we'll have a new podcast every two weeks. So uh, continue to check back on all your favorite podcasting platforms. You can always search the Weather Lounge and find us there. And as always, you can visit weatherworksinc.com. That is our company, and you'll find a lot about what we do right there. So thanks, everybody, for listening, and we'll see you next time.